You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And welcome to the program. Today is July 26, 2021. We're going, going to be reading Chapter 9 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, uh, and it's about the Lord's anointed. So, Kim, I'm about ready to go into the dip, so I'm going to cut out a little bit here. You, you got it? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Hello? Okay. Uh, what page All numbers right, are we on? on? Um, this is going to be on starting on a page 155. Chapter 9, The Lord's Anointed, in Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, it is page 983 in Holy Priesthood, Volume 6. Okay. Emmett, are you on? Uh, Yes, I'm on, but I'm not open up to the thing yet. Okay. All right. So, um, let's go ahead... um, Mark, did you want to dedicate? I think he's gone. Okay. So um, why don't I say the prayer before we read, and then um, we'll get right into the reading. Um, Emmett, are you going to – okay, you dedicate because we'll be talking a whole bunch. Okay. I'll do that right now. Baruch Hashem, Yehovah Elohim. Baruch Hashem, Yeshua HaMashiach. Baruch Hashem, Rakh HaKodesh. We come to thee, 
O God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ, dedicate ourselves in this time unto thee, to learning of the Lord's anointed. We thank thee, Father, for being able to spread thy word and be a witness unto thee throughout the whole earth using this internet radio program and podcast. We love thee, Father, and we desire thy kingdom to come on the earth as it is in heaven. We desire to be tools in thine hand to bring about Zion's redemption. And we say these things and praise thy holy name. In the name of thy Son, Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for dedicating it tonight. Um, Now we will get right into the reading. I have it opened up in the book. Um, Also, as a backup, I also have it here um, online where everybody else can see and read it at on his profile. So let's get right into the reading right now. Uh, The Lord's anointed. First off, it starts off with the definition, anoint. To put oil on as a sign of consecration, as in a religious ceremony. That's New International Dictionary, Volume 1, page 61. The Lord's anointed holds... Okay, so this is going to have like some maybe printing or errors in it. The Lord's anointed hold the keys of the priesthood. But do all the those holding the priesthood become the Lord's anointed? Are only prophets, priests, and kings entitled to be the Lord's anointed? This chapter will try to provide answers to these questions, beginning with prophets, priests, and kings. For a person to be classified as anointed of the Lord, it is another way of saying a man is called of the Lord. Prophets are anointed, which means they are God's representatives on the earth. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, quote, Now, he which... Hold on one second. Eliza, I'm on the radio show, and I know you can't hear because I'm on the headset but I need you to not be yelling, okay? Thank you. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, quote, Now he which which established us, us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts, end quote. Again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. And John stated, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. End quote. That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. And now we're on page 156. Anciently, the phrase... Real quick. Okay. Something interesting about the etymology of, of the word Mashiach. Mashiach in Hebrew is Messiah. It means anointed. Um... Everything that was in the uh, the Hebrew temple was anointed and was considered Mashiach. Um, in Aramaic, it's Messiah, but Greek did not have a word for the definition of what it truly means to be a Mashiach. Uh, so they used another word, which means smeared with oil or Christ. It's not the same thing. Um, the Lord's anointed is the Lord's chosen mouthpiece on the earth at at a time who is anointed by God with his Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit of the Father. So um, when we say Yeshua HaMashiach, that's the Hebrew of Jesus the Christ. In Aramaic, it would have been Yehoshua Mashiach, or um, Messiah. So, um, to understand those things, to understand how the words get switched around, um, opened your eyes up to what actually, what it means to be a Mashiach or a Messiah, because lots of people can be anointed of God. In fact, in the temple, uh, we receive our washings and anointings for Messiah we are all Messiah in that way, but there's only one who was God the Redeemer, who is Hamashiach, the Messiah. 
And, um, well, and there's only one God the witness, too, who is also a Mashiach, but not a redeemer in the same way that Yeshua or Jesus was a redeemer. Um, Jesus came to liberate us from the bondage of sin and death. Uh, he is Messiah ben Judah or Judah. Messiah ben Yosef or Joseph comes to liberate us from the bondage of Babylon the Great to bring us into Zion's redemption. So that's, that's his main role or my main role because I am Mashiach. Uh, and I know that a lot of people don't understand what that actually means. Um, and the only reason, I can't just say that. So a lot of people run around and they say, oh, I feel like I'm this and I feel like I'm that, and then they start proclaiming it. The only reason I know who I am is because God did lay his hands upon my head physically and anoint me himself. And I did not understand that what was going on at the time. And then 10 years later, he said, ask me who you are. And then that's when I received the certain knowledge of my anointed status and um, and what these things actually mean. So God prepares us here a little and there a little. It was the same with Jesus Christ, and it's the same with all of us. We are all prepared by him as we move forward and seek his face. So anyway, I'll mute myself again. Okay. Anciently, the phrase, the Lord's anointed, became a synonym for king. See 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5, chapter 24, verse 6, chapter 10, verse 26, and, or, I'm sorry, chapter 24, verse 6 and 10, chapter 26, verse 9, 11, and 16, and see 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 14, and 16, chapter 19, verse 21, Psalms chapter 20, verse 6, and Lamentations chapter 4, verse 20. Anointing expresses the sanctifying influences of the Holy Spirit upon Christians who are priests and kings unto God. Hellebay's Bible Dictionary, page 35. The first three kings of the Old Testament were anointed. Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 16. David, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. And Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 34. The Persian king Cyrus also is also called the Lord's anointed in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1. Persons were anointed in the Old Testament to signify their separation from the world, and they were anointed to a consecration of holiness. Priests, prophets, and kings were anointed as an act of divine favor and a special anointment. Further, the anointing symbolized equipment for service and is associated with the outpouring of the Spirit of God. That's 1 Samuel chapter 1, I mean chapter 10, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And... The last Bible dictionary, um, chapter or volume one, page 69. Okay. Number one. Okay. This is, it just gets like into a whole bunch of different um, quotes, one right after the other, I think. Anointing in Holy Scripture is either one, material with oil, or two, spiritual with the Holy Ghost. It was a rite of inauguration into each of the three typical offices, A, prophet, B, priest, and C, king. Hellebay's Bible Dictionary, page 35. But an anointing is not limited to just prophets, priests, and kings. The anointing of both items and individuals. I guess that's another um, highlight to a talk. Um, hold on a second. In ancient days, different items and or individuals were anointed, i.e. altars. Numbers, chapter 7, verse 84. The tabernacle and vessels, Leviticus 8, 10, and Numbers 7, chapter 7, verse 1. Garments, Exodus 29, 29. Priests, Numbers, priests are anointed in Numbers, chapter 3, verse 3. Sorry, this is all confusing with all the uh, quotations and asterisks and uh, parentheses and just how it's written. Sorry. Prophets, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, and Kings in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 39. So what was wrong? 
page 157. Did you have anything that you wanted to add? Um, I am almost to the mine road. I'm actually turning on to it right now, so I'll be breaking up a little bit. But I did want to say that um, when you're when you receive your anointings as a king in Israel, um, it's not just holy oil. There's a combination of spiced oils that um, you can receive. Uh, and actually, uh, well, when I received my second anointing, um, we just had it mixed together. But I found out that you can actually go onto Amazon. <laughs> Amazon.com and purchase uh, purchase the spiced oils for the anointings, and the Jews still use these things. So I, I don't know. I thought I thought that was interesting when I found that out. Um, but it's not just olive oil. Um, before I break up, I wanted to say something before I forget. A lot of these people that put oil in their little vial and carry it around, please do not consecrate the oil until you are ready to use it. When you are ready to use it, put it on your hand, all of it, in the container. Rub your hands together and raise your hands, palm up, elbows down to your side. The yah, it's the yah preposition, and consecrate the oil once it's on your hands, and then perform your blessing. Do not consecrate your oil and leave it in the container because if it's in there for too long, it will. Uh, it'll rot, or I don't know what it's called, it'll spoil. And then you've got spoiled, consecrated oil. Please don't do that. If you're going to do, if you're going to lay your hands on anyone and uh, anoint them, please put it on your hands and consecrate it at that point, and then you can do the blessing uh, if you have the priesthood to do it. So, uh, Or you can do it by the prayer of faith, which... Uh, it's probably fine too. Anyway, all right, I'll I'll mute myself. Okay. The Book of Mormon also mentions this same custom. Now Nephi began or this is Jacob chapter one verse nine. Quote Now Nephi began to be old, and he saw that he must soon die, wherefore he anointed a man to be a king and a ruler over his people now according to the reigns of the kings, end quote, Jacob chapter 1, verse 9. The anointing of kings had also been previously practiced by Jaredites. We read that Oriah, a son of Jared, was anointed to be a king over the people. Ether, chapter 6, verse 27, and later other kings were also anointed, such as Emmer, Ether, chapter 9, verse 14, Coriantum, Ether, chapter 9, verse 21, and Coram, Ether, chapter 10, verse 16. And now we're going to talk about the anointing oil. The word anoint was generally used in conjunction with anointing oil. God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Psalms chapter 47 verse 7. See also Leviticus chapter 8 verse 10, 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 39, and 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 1 for other examples of anointing with oil. In the famous 23rd Psalm, it states, Thou anointest my head with oil, verse 5, which is often what shepherd actually had to do to his sheep, what a shepherd had to do to his sheep. As the sheep are coming along, they sometimes hit their heads against sharp rocks or trees. If we leave them in the sun, their wounds will all fester. So when they are on this table, we have to oil their head with pure olive oil or a butter made out of sheep's milk called stamen. The king of shepherds and his son, Lydia Mountford, page 156. Various oils were used for different occasions in the New Testament. And now we're on page 158. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. John chapter 12, verse 13. This was an act, of, um, an act to knowledge, acknowledge him as her Lord. Olive oil was generally used for the healing of the sick. See Mark chapter 6 verse 13 and James chapter 5 verse 14. The Lord told Moses to use a combination of oils, myrrh, cinnamon, calamus, cassia, olive oil, to make a holy anointing oil. And after he described the ingredients, he told Moses um, in Exodus chapter 30 verses 22 through 31, quote, and thou shalt make an oil of holy ointment, an ointment 
compound after the art of the apothecary. It shall be an holy anointing oil, and thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of his test of the testimony, and the table, and all his vessels, and the candlestick and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings, offering with all his vessels, and the laver and his foot. And thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever touches them shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. End quote. From Exodus chapter 30, verse 22 through 31. In healing of a blind man, Christ didn't use oil, but spittle. And this is in John chapter 9, verse 2 through 3 and 6 through 7. Quote, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go, wash the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came and came seeing, end quote. Again, that's John chapter 9, verses 2 through 3 and 6 through 7. And we are on page 159 now. However, later on, the Apostle James suggested that they refrain from using spittle and healing the sick. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 14. When Solomon was anointed, Zadok, the priest, took a, an horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, God saves the king Solomon. That's 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 39. This expression is still a tradition of Brit the British, i.e., God save the queen. This anointing with oil was more than just a setting apart or an appointment. It also had a spiritual significance. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the midst of his brethren, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. End quote. That's 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Um, and this next quote is from Scribner's Dictionary of the Bible, page 35. Um, by the pouring of the con consecrated oil upon the head, there was thought to be effected a transference to the person anointed of part of the essential holiness and virtue of the deity, whose name and by whose representative the rite was performed. By the Hebrews, the rite was also believed to impart a special endowment of the spirit. The application of this honorable title to kings alone in the old, oldest literature makes it probable that the similar song consecration of the priesthood was a latter extension of the right, end quote. Again, from Scribner's Dictionary of the Bible, page 35. And now we're on page 160. It is significant that anointing with oil was a, was a practice in both the Old and New Testament, and prophets, priests, patriarchs, and kings were thus anointed. Joseph Smith also incorporated it into the rig, or religious rites of the church in our day. However, anointing with water, oil, or other ingredients does not make the anointing valid in the eyes of the Lord. If it is not done by someone with the holy priesthood, there are anointings, anointings performed by men, even in the temples, that the Lord never sanctions. By transgressing opposing eternal laws and breaking his priesthood oath and covenant, a man can become unfit to be considered the Lord's anointed, and thus his anointing will no longer be recognized by the Lord. It should be noted that oil is not a requirement in all anointings because men can be baptized, have hands laid upon their head, be set apart, ordained, given priesthood, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And oil is not necessarily a part of these ordinances. And now we're going to talk about protection of the Lord's anointed. In First Chronicles, oh, that's in a mid thing. Hold on. The Lord keeps his eye upon those who have received such an anointing. And on one occasion said, quote, touch not mine anointed and do not and do my prophets no harm. End quote from first Chronicles chapter 16, verse 22. David once said, and this one's first Samuel chapter 24, verse six, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. End quote. Again, that's first Samuel chapter 24, verse six. 
After Joseph Smith recorded the anointing of some high priest elders in 70s and 1836, he briefly described two separate visions showing how the Lord protects his anointed. Page 161. Um, this quote is going to be from Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 386 and 387. Quote, Elder Roger Orton saw a mighty angel riding upon a horse of fire with a flaming sword in his hand, followed by five others, encircle the house and protect the saints, even the Lord's anointed, from the power of Satan and a host of evil spirits which were striving to disturb the saints. President William Smith, one of the twelve, saw the heavens opened and the Lord's host protecting the Lord's anointed. End quote. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 386 and 387. On the other hand, the Lord has shown his displeasure with the people who have mistreated his anointed ones. For example, Aaron and Miriam complained about the plural wife of Moses, the Lord's anointed one. And thus Miriam was tormented by leprosy. See Numbers chapter 112, verses 1 through 10. Sorry. Do you want to, Kim, maybe, um, so I wanted to ask, I've been on the program, I've just been muted. Um, Okay. I gotta say two things. First, the British are part of the House of Israel. After the Assyrian captivity in uh, 700 and whatever BC, um, after Assyria mm-hmm. fell, they um, combined among the other tribes that went with them in the Tumas tribes, and they actually called themselves Isaac's sons, uh, and eventually they became the Saxons. And they uh, went throughout all of uh, northern Europe and into Russia and all of that area. Um, God saved the king. That comes directly from biblical times. There's a lot of other things that are also uh, indicators that they are exactly who I'm telling you that they are. Um, so, but um, so that's just one little topic that I wanted to cover just real quick. But um, so we're talking about the protection of the Lord's anointed, and uh, it came to my mind that Kim can talk about uh, what you saw over in the uh, Church Visitor Center down in the uh, bottom floor when I went into the bathroom, the angel. Yeah, sorry, I the was trying to unmute my thing. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, you know what I'm talking so about, we right? Were, yeah, I, I absolutely yeah. know what you're talking about. When you started to talk about it, then I was like, oh, yeah. Um, so I don't usually see any guardian angels or anyone around him. Um, but I don't think I have a bad memory. I don't think this is the first time I've seen guardian angels. But this is the first time I saw one around him. So um, because before this I had seen, like, other spirits or whatever, you know, like Lucifer when we were in Lisbon. Anyway, um, when we were well, in the visitor Satan. center, we had gone up to see the, yes, Satan. That's the time. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we were, um, we were in the visitor center with the kids and um, walking around and reading all the things. We love the artwork there and um, the Christus statue um, is actually really, <laughs> it's a very good likeness. Uh, to whoever actually um, <laughs> who did that, I, I well, the best if one had seen Christ. <laughs> the best one, the absolute best one, is the bust in the Joseph Smith Memorial Building. Uh, if you go in the lobby and you go to the back north east side of the lobby, there's a bust back there, and it, it's beautiful. If you cover one mm-hmm. side of the bust face, you will see the face of God, like, our Father. Yeah. <laughs> if you cover, cover the other side, you'll see the face of God the Son. God the Father is more filled out than the Son, but they look almost ide- uh, identical, except for the Son. Did you and I have that conversation before? Out. What? Did you and I have that conversation before? I, I feel like we've talked about that. We yeah, were well, somewhere when I showed it to you, in... I showed I I want I. I covered the face. I said, who's that look like? And you knew. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. I was yeah. Like, yeah, and then yeah. I covered oh, the other funny. side, and I was like, I forgot about that. This. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Anyway, 
Um, okay, go sorry. ahead. Sorry. So anyways, we yeah. were in the visitor center, and we, we love all the artwork and everything in there. So we were looking around, showing the kids, letting the kids, you know, lead kind of the discussions, too, because we like to let them talk about the artwork that they like. And, you know, they were interested in the 3D models of, like, the towns and stuff. So um, we'd been there for a while because we like to get in-depth with all of this stuff, and especially with teaching the kids so that they can know the truth of all things uh, and understand that they can know everything if they are inquisitive and they want to learn. Anyway, so he had to go to the bathroom, to the restroom. And as he was going to the restroom, I was like, okay, I'll just sit over here and the kids can look at the, this artwork over here. And um, so we were letting the kids look at it. I had sat down to watch them. And I wasn't I pregnant at the time? I think I was. I was pregnant a lot. Yeah. Anyways, and then... Um, <laughs> And so I sat down, he went into the bathroom, and as soon as he had closed the door, it was funny because I had seen um, an angel, um, and it was it was a guardian angel is what my feeling was. I mean, I didn't ask. <laughs> I did not ask. I only saw for a moment. And then um, when, when Mark came out of the bathroom, I was like, um, he is here, and he's like, who is he? And I was like, well, I think your angel is here. He's like, what? And then I told him about how he, I was like, maybe he just didn't want to go in the bathroom with you. Maybe he wanted to give you your privacy. <laughs> so he was like, oh, okay. So it well, was just interesting. So um, I just know that he was very tall, um, did have long hair, um, and um, white uh, is the best way to, you know, they're just bright beings. Um, his clothing, his hair. Yeah, everything was white. I'm not saying like race-wise. I'm just saying the being itself was white. But also, it was like, it, they're tall, like super tall. Like, I don't feel like he was touching the ground, though. He was kind of levitating off the ground. But um, definitely was taller than well, but, than you and me. <laughs> about seven feet. Yeah, they're tall. Um, yeah, uh, did not say anything, didn't he? I did not even notice, like, the expression on his face. I knew it was a man. Um, figure, but yeah, um, it was only for a moment. So from what I remember from that one moment, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's somebody's there waiting outside the bathroom for you. And uh, and so I just told him that when he came back out. <laughs> and I had forgotten about all well, of that. Well, one other. Said that. And I was like, oh yeah. So um, part of my position that I was foreordained to before this world was uh, formed is that of the witness of the Father. And actually, um, I have command over uh, a great deal of angels. Anyway, but um, I do also have a broad, uh, like a garrison of, of protection around me. That's why all my friends used to call me Lazarus, because I can't die. And I always joke about that, but... Um, I'm going to go into the void. It's just going to break up. But uh, there have been so many times I shouldn't be here because Satan has tried to kill me over and over and over again. And God protects me all the time. So, all right. Emmett, did you still have something you wanted to say? Yes. Um, my microphone is out or up. Um, yeah, you were talking about that, and it reminds me, I really love the mural that's there. It makes me feel awesome, like, of all the planets and stuff, and, like, the whole collage of all the different things they have, with the statue in the middle. It's really awesome, and just awesome to sit there and look at it. And, and he's talking about the visitor center at the Salt Lake Temple. Yeah. Uh Anyways, I'm cooking a bunch of different foods. Uh, I gotta go before stuff burns. Okay. Um, if you guys are finished. <laughs> okay. Now, and usually when Emma is reading, and I'm like, how can you not remember where you were at? Um, but I was like sitting here thinking for a minute before. I was like, uh, oh great, where am I at? Because when I go off on tangents, I was like, what was I reading about? <laughs> However, I do know where I'm at, and I'll continue reading. On the other hand, the Lord has shown his displeasure with the people who have mistreated his anointed ones. For example, Aaron and Miriam compl complained about the, mural, mural, sorry, about the plural wife of Moses. 
the Lord's anointed one, and thus Miriam was tormented by leprosy. See Numbers chapter 112, verses 1 through 10. Criticizing and complaining against the Lord's anointed has been the cause of many plagues, famines, and wars coming upon the people. And in the latter days, the Lord has said, Cursed are all those that shall lift up the heel against mine anointed, saith the Lord. End quote. That's the NC, chapter 121, verse 16. And now we'll talk about Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Interestingly, the word anoint has another connotation relating to Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, a deliverer is promised under the title of Messiah or anointed. And the nature of his anointing is described to be spiritual with the Holy Ghost in the New Testament of Jesus, or Testament, Jesus of Nazareth, is shown to be the Messiah or Christ or anointed of the Old Testament. That's John chapter 1, verse 41, Acts chapter 9, verse 22, also chapter 17, verse 2 and 3. Sorry, I have Arius rolling, like literally rolling around on me and this book. As I'm trying to read, <laughs> he's just in a woke cat up. And, a laptop. <laughs> and he's like all over it. And so, as I'm stuttering while I'm reading it, it's because I'm half looking at him and half trying to look at where I'm reading. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. Um, I did want to. Um, I did want to say something about Jesus. Um, okay. <laughs> all right. So in Zechariah chapter four, verse fourteen, it talks about the Lord and His two anointed ones. Jesus Christ is one, I am the other, Messiah ben Joseph, Messiah ben Judah, God the Redeemer, and God the Witness. Um, I received my anointing under the hand of the Father the same way that Jesus did. So on the Mount of Transfiguration, when it talks about God coming down and the Holy Spirit coming down, yeah, that actually happened, but it wasn't a spiritual, it was a physical and a spiritual event. Jesus Christ received his personal anointings under the hand of the Father, same as I did. And that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. So, and then there were some other things that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration as well. But uh, most people don't realize that's when he, he was foreordained already to become a Christ, and he had received other anointings before that. But the actual anointing of the Father to the Son happened in that place. And I just wanted people, I wanted to, to talk about it just a little bit, just to maybe invoke some of your memories about reading that and then realizing how crucial and important that event really was. I mean, it was so important in so many different ways, but at that point, he became a witness of the Father, an actual, an apostle of the Father. So you have Jesus Christ is called the, the apostle, the witness, the one sent forth, or um, I can't remember what the word is in Hebrew. It's the same derivation as the word angel, a sent one. But Jesus Christ is literally an eyewitness of the Father, same as I am personal eyewitnesses of the Father, and we are uh, the first and the second witness or apostles of the Father. And then there are apostles under Jesus Christ. I don't have apostles um, because this is the work of the Father, not my work. I am sent out of the Father, so I am an apostle. But then um, Jesus Christ told me back in 2013 that there are two separate kinds of apostles. You have your personal eyewitnesses who have embraced Jesus Christ, who are apostles, and they live on this earth right now. There are those out there who have seen them, seen them, and have uh, touched the resurrected flesh of Jesus, the same as I have. But then there are those many more who are 70 apostles, who are like Paul. They saw Jesus, but Jesus never allowed him to touch them. So when Paul talks about how he's an apostle, he was not part of the 12. He was a 70 apostle. He was an eyewitness, but not a physical witness. So he saw him, but not touch him. But those who have seen him and embraced him, those are apostles also of the Son. And we know in the New Testament there were more than 12 apostles because after 
certain apostles died out, they they brought forth Bartholomew and other people who were also apostles. I think there was 24 altogether. Anyway, I'll mute myself. Okay, then I'll unmute myself. <laughs> All right. Um, I was kind of in the middle of a quote, so I am going to uh, restate that quote really quick. So John chapter 1, verse 41, Acts chapter 9, verse 22, and also chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, quote, In the Old Testament, a deliverer is promised under the title of Messiah or anointed, and the nature of his anointing is described to be spiritual with the Holy Ghost. In the New Testament, Jesus of Nazareth is shown to be the Messiah or Christ or anointed of the Old Testament. That's John chapter 1, verse 41, Acts chapter 9, verse 22, and also chapter 17, verse 2 and 3. And the historical fact of his being anointed with the Holy Ghost is asserted and recorded. And that is in John chapter 1, verse 32, verse 33, Acts chapter 4, verse 27, also chapter 10, verse 38. Christ was anointed as prophet, priest, and king. That's Hello Bay's Bible Dictionary, page 35. And now we're on page 162. The anointed one, Christ, the official name of the Redeemer of mankind as Jesus, or in the Hebrew, Joshua, Savior was his natural name. Christ means anointed, from chiro, or trio, to anoint. I got it. Under the Old Testament... Hold on, let me finish this sentence, okay? okay? Under the Old Testament dispensation, high priests, kings, and prophets were appointed to their office by the pouring of the sacred oil upon their head. The rite was performed by the recognized officer of Jehovah and was an outward testimony that their appointed proceeded, appointment proceeded direct from God himself as the source of all authority and as being under the ancient covenant in a peculiar way the governor of his people. The oil used in the consecration of priests in the anointing of the tabernacle and sacred vessels was a, spe- a special preparation of myrrh, cinnamon, calamus, and cassia from Exodus chapter 30, verse 23 through 25, one second, which the Jews were forbidden to apply to the body or to copy under pain of death. It was no doubt intended to typify the gifts and graces of the Holy Spirit. End quote from Cassell's Bible Dictionary, page 257. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, it just drives me nuts. Okay? If you don't understand why it says Joshua instead of Yeshua, it's because the transliteration of Yeshua is Joshua. But there are no J's in the Hebrew alphabet. There are no uh, J sounds in the Hebrew alphabet. There was never any Jesus as far as his name was concerned, or Joshua for that matter. In fact, Yahshua, the son of Nun, the one who took over after Moses was taken up, his name transliterated is Joshua, but his Hebrew name was Yahshua, same as Jesus. And what it means is salvation, or he who saves. And when Gabriel came to Yosef, the husband of Mary, he said his name shall be Yahshua HaYoshia, which means he will save his people. That's exactly what his name means. And all of the Hebrew prophets, every single one of them, their name meant something. It's not just like my middle name is Tyson. It doesn't really mean anything. It comes from the son of Thor, they say, um, but it doesn't really mean anything. Mark Lichtenwalter, well, the son of God actually is uh, Tyson, but Mark Lichtenwalter, or Mark Lichtenwalter, actually means warrior light in the darkness or in the forest. I've heard it two different ways. It's a German, uh, German root. But all of these Old Testament prophets, every single one of them had a name. Jesus doesn't mean anything in Hebrew, because there was never a word Jesus in Hebrew. But Yeshua means salvation, because that's exactly what he came to do. Okay, I will mute myself again. 
Okay. It is obvious that if the early Christians and anointed with oils and other preparations, then surely such ordinances should be administered today if we profess to be Christians. Okay. The next part we're going to talk about is priesthood and anointing in this dispensation. Um, I just wanted to say really quickly, um, I was looking at, so I like to do oils. I like to use oils and I belong to a, a little group of oily people. Um, and it's a cult um, of young living. Cult, (laughs) yeah. She got caught up in a cult, sadly. We lost her. Like, uh, so uh, we all like it as a family. Don't let them be haters. Yeah, Um, I actually like it. Yeah. Um. So they actually have a kit. Um. That I was thinking about um, purchasing this month. Um. And it is, um, oils of the scriptures or oils of the Old Testament. I can't remember which one. But it does have several of these oils in it that they're talking about here. I think that w- that is so interesting. And definitely I'm curious to know the smells and such of them. So um, be thinking about that, Mark, because I'm going to be chatting with you about that later. <laughs> Since we were on the oil, uh, oil kick here. Anyways, um, let's talk about priesthood anointing in this dispensation. The following is the order and procedure that took place when the anointings were given to the saints in the early days of the church. This is Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 379 and 380. Quote, We then laid our hands upon our aged father, Smith, and invoked the blessings of heaven. I, Joseph Smith, then anointed his head with the consecrated oil and sealed many blessings upon him. The presidency then, in turn, laid their hands upon his head, beginning at the oldest until they had all laid their hands upon him and pronounced such blessings upon his head as the Lord put into their hearts. All blessed him to be our patriarch, to anoint our heads and attend to all duties that pertain to the office, to that office. The presidency then took the seat in their turn, according to their age, beginning at the oldest, and received their anointing and blessings under the hands of the Father Smith. And in my turn, my father anointed my head and sealed upon me the blessings of Moses to lead Israel in the latter days, even as Moses led him in the days of old. Also the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. End quote. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 379 and 380. We're on page 163. Later, these anointings were administered to others. And this is going to be another really long quote from Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 386, January 1836. Quote, in the evening met the quorum of the high priest in the west room of the upper loft of the Lord's house. And in company with my counselors, consecrated and anointed the counselors of the presidents of the high priests. Quorum. And having instructed them and set the quorum in order, I left them to perform the holy anointing and went to the quorum of elders at the other end of the room. I assisted in anointing the counselors of the president of the elders and gave the instruction necessary for the occasion and left the president and his counselors to anoint the elders, which uh, while I should go to the adjoined room, adjoining room and attend to organizing and instructing the quorum of the 70. I found the 12 apostles assembled with this quorum, and I proceeded with the quorum of the presidency to instruct them and also the seven presidents of the 70 elders to call upon God with uplifted hands to seal the blessings which had been promised to them by the holy anointing. As I organized this quorum with the presidency in this room, President Sylvester Smith saw a pillar of fire rest down and abide upon the heads of the quorum as we stood in the midst of the twelve. End quote. From Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 386, January 1836. Brigham Young said that for a person to have the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood, he must be a king and priest, which is the second anointing. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 5, page 527. These ordinations and anointings were meant to be performed in the temple, as Parley Pratt said, here, in the Holy sanctuary must be revealed ordained and anointed the kings and queens of eternity that comes from keys to theology fifth edition pages 170 and 71 there are a series of important steps to be taken in order to achieve these blessings dr hugh nibley explained and this comes from approaching zion nibley page 424 
uh, we are on page 164 also. Quote, to organize a race of priests in ancient as in modern days, God processed all volunteers by a series of preparatory steps. First, there was an initiatory stage in which one is physically set apart from the world, actually washed, anointed, given a protective garment, and clothed in sanctified robes. This is merely preliminary and qualifies one to proceed. In earnest, not of what one has become, but of what one may and wishes to become. End quote. From Approaching Zion, Nibley, page 424. Thus, when people enter into the temple to receive their first endowments, they are anointed with water, with the promise that if they are faithful, they will receive another or second anointing. In that ceremony, they are anointed with oil as kings and queens, priests and priestesses. Thousands, if not millions, go through our LDS temples and receive their first anointings, but only a handful ever receive their second anointings. Why is this? Is it because they are all unworthy, or is it because those who should be calling them in to receive those anointings have failed to get the inspiration enough to know that they are worthy? Or is it because it is just not the policy to administer these second anointings to the church members any longer? Giving the saints a first anointing without the second is good for nothing, and it is like baptizing people with water but never finishing their baptism by giving them the Holy Ghost. The Prophet Joseph Smith said that, in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 148, baptism is a holy ordinance preparatory to the reception of the Holy Ghost. It is the channel and key by which the Holy Ghost will be administered, end quote, from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 148. And we're now on page 165. And later, he emphasized, baptism by water is but half a baptism and is good for nothing without the other half, that is, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 314. What keys, powers, and blessings are the saints being deprived of by not receiving their second anointings and ordinations as kings and queens? This is the subject of our next chapter. Wow, what a good leeway. And now we'll be reading chapter 10, Kings and Keys, on page 166. If you want to call in or have any questions, comments, or mm, just like to call in and talk, our call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And I'm going to give a little bit of a, a foreshadowing of uh, Chapter 10 really quickly um, and give people time to call in. Uh, Mark, do you have anything to say? And if not, that's fine, too, and I will keep on reading. No, I'm good. Okay. And then I will keep on reading this, and then maybe we'll chat a little bit after as well. Have you seen this next chapter? Oh, it's a normal one. It's only a little bit. (laughs) In my eyes, it's only a little bit, but then if he has a whole bunch to talk about, then it ends up being a lot longer. And also, me too lately, I suppose. (laughs) Okay, Kings and Keys, Chapter 10. And I will make thee, Abraham, fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. That is Genesis chapter 17, verse 6. Protestants and Catholics alike have studied the scriptures in an attempt to understand the different offices existing in the early Christian church, but they have no knowledge of their real purpose or function. They have occasionally incorporated some elders, teachers, or deacons into their churches, but even then... They are unsure of all the functions of those offices. John Taylor talked about kings and priests that officiated sometime after the days of Noah. This quote comes from Journal of Discourse, volume 17, page 207. Quote, we find that after the days of Noah, an order was introduced called the patriarchal order, in which every man managed his own family affairs. And prominent men among them were kings and priests unto God and officiated in what is known among us as the priesthood of the Son of God, or the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. That's Journal of Discourse, Volume 17, page 207. That actually is a really good precursor, and then the rest of it starts getting into it. So let's just keep it short and sweet like that, and um, that will be what we're reading about tomorrow. Uh, The Journal of Discourses has actually been mentioned a whole lot in this book in the Holy Priesthood Volume 6, and a lot of um, 
a lot of Kraut's books because in the early days um, they didn't have um, what was it called? You know, the Sun Magazine or the Inside Magazine. Instead, they had. Well, they had. Um, they did publication, I, so people that lived a long yeah. ways away, what they would do is they would they would write down the talks in shorthand, and then they would write it out in in long form and give it to Brigham Young, and then he would check over it because he was the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Discourses, and then they would send them off in pamphlets to, like, the Saints in England or wherever the people were. And then um, over time, they compiled them into the Journal of Discourses. It was basically like the Enzyme or the Lehona back in the day. That's why we have them. So um, the LDS Church doesn't like it when people use them because they don't want you to know how far away from the truth or the restoration that they've gotten. So they don't like it when people use them. And they'll use uh, quotes out of the Journal of Discourses, but they'll put ellipses in there so that you only read the parts that they want you to read. And we can thank the Correlation Department for that because they've got stuff to hide. Anyway, Go ahead, Kim. Um, so I was just going to say, if you have not read them before, uh, reading them in its entirety, there's a, a bunch of volumes into it. There's how many is it? Sixty? I can't remember. We have them 40, in the office. Forty-six. Here. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. They. Yeah. So um, they're actually very interesting to go and read them. Um, the originals of what they are yeah. and uh, you, different things. It's like reading when you read scriptures, different things just jump out at you. Um, well, not and, the ones that the church publishes because the church actually has changed the journal of discourses. You want the original printing or a, a copy of yeah, the Yeah, that's what I said, originals. Yeah. Yeah. And you can go to uh, our Pioneer Press bookstore in Santa Quin, Utah and order and, in fact, I kind of wish we had a newer one because we have Kevin Kraut's old ones. And I don't like to hold them because they're kind of they're old. And they're kind of falling apart, mm-hmm. and I don't want them to fall apart. So <laughs> um, we gave our friend uh, up in Salt Lake a uh, printed version. And they're not as expensive as the church tries to sell them for because the church doesn't want you to have them. Oh, that drives me nuts. We can thank Heber J. Grant for screwing around with the uh, Journal of Discourse. He's the one that screwed around with it. Mm-hmm. So if you like history and you like church history, <laughs> um, they're actually quite interesting to read and get into. So, um, yeah, that's what I was going to mention about tonight. Um, we do a lot of different readings. Um, our, at least my... To my knowledge, our objective is not um, to tell people how to think and believe. It is to introduce them to information and um, material and our own um, experiences and witnesses, um, as my husband has mentioned a million times, <laughs> that um, yeah. just so that you can understand that these things do happen. And we love to hear others' um, experiences and love to hear um, what you have uh, read yourselves and what you have learned in um, in your life as well because it all is a sign of the times. It's a sign of um, scriptures being fulfilled and prophecy being fulfilled. Well, um, knowledge is pouring forth. Knowledge that has yeah. been kept in the darkness. Yep. So we like love to um, have men. truth and light and just spoken and um, not hidden under a bushel. Um, yeah. So, you yeah. know what I wish? So that's what I was going to mention. I wish somebody would do a podcast reading uh, Nibley's books, because he's got some really good stuff, too. That'd be awesome if somebody did that. Like, if, if you have the time and you have, you're thinking of doing a podcast, read Nibley's stuff. Um, oh, that guy. Good stuff. Anyway, I'd like to hear C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis podcast as well. I love reading C.S. Lewis, but I don't have time anymore because I'm doing this and I work a lot. But 
and all the other stuff. I actually got home about 4 o'clock this morning and spent three hours tearing down a fence and, and putting up another fence. And, like, Kim and I are very busy people. We have a farm. We have five kids. We both have jobs. <laughs> it takes a lot of, out of our day just to uh, just to do the program. So, anyway. Yeah, um, we have jobs other than just farming and kids. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Emmett, or is Emmett um, do you have the studio up? Let me see if anybody called in. Yeah, hold on. Okay. Uh, just reloading it again. Doesn't look like anyone though. Okay. Well, that's fine. I yeah, I am no thankful for everybody who does listen. Um. So and, and you know I um you know. So in Matthew chapter 24, it says that the gospel would be preached unto a witness and that that, that the witness would uh, basically speak to the end of the earth. That's prophecy fulfilled today in your ears. That is what the prophets of old saw. This is actually it. And Rabbi Yesat Kadori, who uh, was also an apostle of Jesus Christ, who saw Jesus Christ, um, he talked about these things. This stuff is happening right now. He said that this ministry of Messiah ben Yosef would start shortly after the death of Ariel Sharon, and that that Messiah would use social media to convey his witness to the ends of the earth. And then uh, he died actually in 2006, and then Ariel Sharon didn't die till uh, January of 2014, and that's exactly when this ministry started. So, anyway, um, I'm going up wash plants, so I guess we could just end the program if somebody could uh, end the program with a prayer and then uh, play the end music. That would be great. Okay. I was trying to behind the scenes say, Hey Emmett, did you want to do that? And he says, What? <laughs> so um I will pray Emmett if you will do the end music. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we come before thee this evening and give thee thanks and praise for all the time that thou hast given to us and the time that you have spent with us and for us and on our behalf. And we are just truly grateful to thee for your efforts and hope to be able to magnify what it is that thou hast given unto us and help us to magnify our callings and be able to help others to be able to come unto thee and be able to be a light to the people. We are so grateful, Father, for your spirit and we're thankful for your love and the attention that thou hast given unto us. We feel truly blessed and are grateful for it. We ask thee, Father, to watch over your people, watch over us and watch over the viewers or the listeners. And we ask you, please, Lord, to help us to be safe and have thy spirit to be with us. We thank you for your angels, your messengers, and your um your workers, your special individuals that help um, to bring about the kingdom of God as it is on on earth, as it is in heaven. And we hope that you will forgive us of our sins and our transgressions, that we might be able to come more fully into your presence, Lord, and ask you to help us to rededicate ourselves every day and to become uh, better people and to become more like thee. These things we pray for and ask and give thanks to you, to thee, in the name of thy Son, Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. 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 Cue the music. Mm-hmm. 